Someone came to my door during the recording there. <laughs> Your dogs were going apeshit. Yeah, I, I will I will be able to cut that from my side. But yeah, like <laughs> my, my daughter wanted to go up and visit. There's a She's got a friend that lives a couple of doors up. And um, she said right. earlier on, just before I started recording, can I go up and see her? And I was like, no. Because if you go up and see her, you come back. No, I won't come back. I promise I'll stay out for the full time you're recording. I was like, cool. So set the alarm on her watch and whatnot. So she went up there. Her friend wasn't in. So she came back. And I said to my wife, I was like, I bet you the message gets passed on and she comes to the door when I'm recording and Corinne's like, no, 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 you'll be fine, you'll be fine. She rang the doorbell <laughs> and on, that's what they're like. Like, <laughs> fucking... The hounds, get, release the hounds. They're, they're fucking t- like, they're tiny. Even the pug is small for a pug. He's like, he's, a, he's not a big dog, but the noise they make is unfucking real um so, oh, yeah. so i'll have fun i'll have fun cutting all that shout um <laughs> right let's sug into this one here uh right and we are recording in three two one they were called nasties and they were nasty some of the things that we've seen are so horrific these films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. Hi everyone and welcome to Doing the Nasty Podcast. This is episode number one of season two, the show that was promised for a while as punishment to listeners who thought they were going to get off light. No, we're back. We are back indeed to bring you the long-awaited and, to be honest, self-promised tier three movie reviews. Now, it's worth saying if you've been checking the back catalogue, the archives on the channel that's out there, you'll know that I've put a little sound bite in the front advising that this was coming back. Letting you know that we were going to do it, we're going to take the plunge and also to let you know of some personnel changes up in this match. Yes, Andy Blockley has decided for sanity's sake to skip out this season. I can kind of see why and we're going to get into how he may have predicted the future specifically on this episode later on, but it left me with a challenge. A challenge that was not enviable. Like, who would I want to put through a, a mission statement that is essentially three and a bit years long and uh, doesn't promise always a great yield of cinematic glory? Well, that was a really short list, if I'm honest. And what it came down to, who do I know that has uh, a, a secret passion for lo-fi cinema? And there was only one name on that list when I put that caveat in there. So joining me for the entirety of season two, he's a former colleague of mine on the always on hiatus but never live um, midnight horror show. And of course, he's been on many, many podcasts under the stairs episodes. Most recently, our summer series looking at the 90s and he will return for the 2000s. He is, of course, my good buddy, Mark Ball. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm here to watch some garbage movies and some great movies because that's what the there's zero consistency with this <laughs> section three list of 
the video nasties. There are some absolute masterpieces coming up, and there's some utter dog shit coming up. And I think that's partially why I was probably one of your first picks to, to come back when you knew that Andy wasn't going to be able to. You're like, Mark likes garbage cinema. He can tear a movie to shreds, especially if you go back to that summer series and listen to me review whatchamacallit um my boyfriend's back is that what it's called yeah yeah, yeah which didn't meet uh, the nasty list i'm afraid to say so <laughs> no that that's that that was pretty tame uh, granted so some of these other movies we're going to be talking about are pretty tame but yeah that's a fine example of me watching a movie that just angers me and makes my blood <laughs> boil and i i I feel like those are a lot more fun for people to listen to. I, I know that people will come in and be like, oh, you shouldn't be so negative about movies. Somebody spent a lot of time in. No, when we get to some of these movies, you're going to understand why this shit makes my blood boil and why <laughs> I feel the need to destroy these movies. Yeah, but we're going to have fun doing it because even, even your description of the tier three list is actually not... Like, you could take that description and use it quite easily on the tier one and tier two movies for every great movie for every zombie flesh eaters we had over there uh, we would have a cannibal man so like we, the you know the disparity between like amazing genre cinema and just utter hot trash um was evident and as will be on here for those that don't know the tier three list it was more a recommendation rather than enforced the to, to catch his backup. If you're jumping in at this stage, I would say go back and listen to the first series anyway. It is worth doing your homework. And um, you will find out that... I'm not going to relitigate everything that happened. But essentially, in the UK, in the 80s, um, some very narrow-minded right-wing politicians, spokespeople, the media, all conspire together to force government to get involved and pass an act of legislation which put restrictions on the the rental or distribution of certain movies. Now, there was a kind of just reason behind that, in that it was the Wild West in the UK when, like, home kind of VHS systems were being purchased right back in the day. There was no real level of certification, um, and you could just pick them up from your local shop. Every kind of local corner shop had like a small collection of videos. There was no blockbusters or, you know, of that ilk at that time. And as a result, you could have kids going in and picking up and having potential access to movies like Cannibal Holocaust or I Spit in Your Grave. And as a result, they took, instead of taking a sensible approach, which would be to look at the system, see how they could work and put it in such a fashion that everyone would still have access to the movies Pending restrictions on age, what they did was decide to create a list of movies. That original list was 72 long. Um, of the 72 on that list, 39 were considered prosecutable. So if you had those movies and were giving them out, you could be taken to court and sentenced. Um, and then you had a further 33 movies which were... Um, I, think, I, I don't think you actually served any time with that one, but you, you could face... Um, I, you know, a bit of a slap on the wrist and stuff and a, a kind of a, a heavy stare down from an angry, angry member of law enforcement. And it, it carried on for quite a while. The, the uh, essential video nasties legislation was disbanded. I want to say it was like 1999, 2000, 
when all these movies suddenly became available again. Granted, some of them are still only available in the UK with cuts. So Cannibal Holocaust, even to this day, still has, I want to say it's like 15 seconds or cut out of that. So you can't see it as an entirety. Um, then they had this third tier list, which was more kind of recommended. And that's what we were going to look at. Some of the titles on this one are just nuts. Um, according to Wikipedia, it says titles on the Section 3 list could not be prosecuted for obscenity, but were liable to seizure and confiscation under a less obscene charge. Tapes seized under Section 3 could be destroyed after distributors or merchants forfeited them. So, i.e., the police could come in and say, what's that you've got on the wall there? Friday the 13th, you say? Well, no, give it here. That's it. We can get rid of it. Which just seems fucking nuts but it happened and yeah. we lived through it and um, it was it was an interesting time it formed my kind of teenage years in the 90s I was uh, I was watching some weird and wonderful bootleg shit uh, like, like <laughs> so, some absolutely like that's where I first saw Last House on the Left on the grubbiest hand-me-down re-recorded reprinted bootleg copy and if anything, it made that movie even more terrifying. <laughs> like, it's like the fact you couldn't really make out what was happening, but you could hear what was happening. Um, it really did inform things. And now we live in a day and age where like labels are putting these out in fancy Blu-ray collector's editions, which just seems weird as well. I don't think any of these movies really need... Well, most of them don't need that level of detail. But 82 movies are on this list. And they range from such classics, Mark, as Phantasm and Friday the 13th, The Thing, and Dawn of the Dead. Like, on the top level, down to movies like... um, I'm just looking at the list here and I'm I'm giggling away at myself because some of them sound absolutely fucking horrible. Like Werewolf Woman, which has never been released in the UK, ever. Or Savage Terror, with no UK release. Uh, Headless Eyes, which, that doesn't make sense as a sentence. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> which has had no UK release as well. Um, so yeah, some, some pretty fucking woeful, and one that just, uh, the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. What the actual fuck? Uh, yeah. Yep. I don't know what that is, but it sounds god-fucking-awful. Yeah, we're good. I don't know, I, pretty... <laughs> Pretty much the minute that I saw that Mausoleum was on this oh, list, yes. I said, "Fuck yes, I have to do this this show." That's that's a, that one's a way a ways out, but there there's some hidden gems on this thing, and Mausoleum is absolutely one of those. That that's one that I recommend grabbing the the Vinegar Syndrome disc of because goddamn that movie is oh it's 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 triple X rated goosebumps on acid. I cannot it's wait. So much fun. I can't wait because so much fun. There are like looking at the list. I, I worked at. I've seen about just under half of the titles on the the eighty two list. So, um, right. you know, but there, there's a whole swath that I have no knowledge about at all, and that was what made me excited. Before there's a ton of cheap sleazy um, Italian cinema on this list, which does my heart good, and then there's others that I just think. I've been championing for years and I can't wait for people to, you know, to finally get a chance to, to, to chat about them and, and and get into them. But the way we did it before was we went through the list, alphabetically each list, and I was talking to you and 
To be honest, that was going to be rough up until about episode 14 or something, and I was like, I'm not doing that, fuck that. So I decided to make things complicated and fair, so what I did was, to make the list diverse, um, I, <laughs> wait to hear this for a randomization system, I decided to um, essentially number all the movies 1 through 10, and then 1 through 10, 1 through 10, so just like 1 down to 10 then continue that down and then order them by number in a spreadsheet so all the ones grouped together all the twos threes etc and then what i did was i then created that list numbered them one two one two then grouped the ones together in the twos then i did the ten thing again and then i did the ones two ones twos and then that gave me the list that we now have so it is like muddled up to say the, the least but it's going to give us some really interesting pairings because otherwise I'd be tempted to pick a really good movie with what I would perceive as being a really shit movie every week and that's not fair because that's not how right. that's not how this should work so it gives me great privilege and pleasure to say that this movie will be covering Invasion of the Blood Farmers from 1972 and a decade on from that the last horror film aka Fanatic, not to be confused with the cinematic <laughs> gold that is Fred Durst's Fanatic from 2019. Are we sure that these movies aren't connected and this Fred Durst might have remade this fucking movie? He could have. There's, there's, but there's bits in it where, like, there was bits in it, like, watch it, because this is the first time watch for me for both these movies, and um, there was bits where I was watching this where I was like, like, in a certain light, the, the, the way that John Travolta has shaped himself could be perceived as Joe Spinell. I mean, it's, it was it was weird. <laughs> they have similar premises for sure. Oh yes, like... oh yes, definitely. So, <laughs> except except one gets to go to Cannes, um, and the other one doesn't. <laughs> one got flushed down the can. <laughs> yeah, well, one one was made by someone with a. a a biting satire on the horror genre, and the other one was made by a rap metal star. So, uh, <laughs> although I'm saying that, I know a lot of people have been giving shit to that Fred Durst movie. It is hella entertaining. It's maybe the best. I actually think it's about the same length. I think they're both about an hour and 20 minutes. You should pair them up. Honestly, that would be an amazing double bill. Absolutely <laughs> amazing. And then if you want to add a bit of class and cheese on top of that, finish off with Bob De Niro and The Fan. Uh, right at the end where he's chasing down I think it's Will Smith <laughs> oh man I, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time <laughs> go Bobby yo Bobby <laughs> fucking terrible man absolutely terrible so the way we do this on this show is a, a bit more relaxed and a bit more informal and it will display our ignorance yeah you're ignorant um, all the way through and <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of really witty and clever insights into these movies. That's just not what this show does. It's a kind of more a kind of um, lowest common denominator dick and fart joke um, sort of show. And we will get into that. We will get into that for sure. But yeah, hopefully you have fun. I know that some of the old listeners are already trying to locate certain movies. A lot of these will be filmed on YouTube. In fact, if it wasn't for Mark's eagle eyes, um, I would not have known that Invasion of the Blood Farmers is up. Any Blu-ray rip, although I question Blu-ray, uh, Blu-ray rip on YouTube in its entirety. In fact, there's three copies of it on YouTube of varying different quality. And I'm, I'm just going to say that they are there. And I think uh, the last horror film is out in the UK by 88 Films. I will assume that there's a Blu-ray of it somewhere in the States as well. 
maybe like a Severin. Severin. So there you go. So it's it's out there as well. So yeah, you you can track these movies down. Um, there will be certain ones here where I will have to rely on on external forces because that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this, man. I really, really am. But before we get into that, Mark, I did kind of tee you up here and say that I brought you in because you do have a love for things low-fi. Is there any particular reason for that? Is that just like, is that just like you you really enjoy shitty-looking cinema, or you know what what is that? <laughs> what causes that? I, I I think. I think there's a couple different reasons for that. Uh, I get a lot of like, okay, to kind of put things into perspective, I uh, I was born in '86, so like the the video nasty thing is maybe a couple years before my time and before I was really starting to watch this thing. But then, like, not too long after that, when I was kind of more coming to an age where I was watching a little bit more adult stuff, uh, like stuff like Columbine happened. <laughs> Which, like, I, I think really, you know, we, we, we've got our own problems with censorship and stuff like that in, in our country. I, I, I was aware of stuff like that, like, from a very young age, because your parents inevitably will tell you something along the lines of, you're too young to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> and that just makes you want to watch it more. And that feeling doesn't go away, I don't think, for a lot of people. And, like, the more you try and keep stuff like this from people the more they want to see it kind of deal mm-hmm. um I, I think my my love of bad cinema comes a lot from uh, my my love my love of cinema in general comes mostly from my mom and she kind of grew up in the age of like drive-in theaters mm-hmm. and big big b movies and like you know old old sci-fi stuff like that the and like the in the golden age of horror like the universal and the hammer type stuff yeah. a little bit later um so and a lot of that stuff is you know it, it's timeless and classic but it's also real low rent and low budget <coughs> and also at some point in my house we got the sci-fi channel and discovered a little show called mystery science theater 3000 yeah <laughs> which I, I i will definitely be connecting the dots the, the the bad bad cinema is just like one big inter interspersed kind of family so i will definitely be dropping references to that kind of stuff it may, maybe even on an episode tonight mm-hmm. when i see similarities of stuff like that but um yeah I, I think i think when i realized how fun a bad movie could be really kind of changed how i looked at movies in general and i realized that like not not everything is going to be raiders of the lost ark mm-hmm. or like you know star wars there there's there's a legion of god-awful cinema like it, from every corner of the globe Somebody is making a shitty movie right this very second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it stays a shitty movie until people discover it. And re- sometimes it takes decades to reevaluate it. And people realize, hey, this is actually a great movie. And a lot, most of them stay shitty movies until the end of time, basically. <laughs> but I just, I just find that really interesting. And, like, it gives, it, it gives you a little like a little more one cut of the dead is a great example mm-hmm. of just like it gives you insight into how much fun it is to make even just a really shitty movie like sometimes i think that is almost more fun than it would be to make like a super serious de niro movie where everybody's got egos and there's a lot at stake like i, I would much rather like go out and hang out with my friends and make a bad movie where everybody gets paid in beer kind of deal like that that just that interests me more and it seems a lot more fun to me i guess 
Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I, I mean, I people will know from the many years of me talking. <laughs> um, I have a real affinity for kind of European cinema, specifically European cinema from like the seventies and eighties. And there's a lot of just blatant rip-off cheese in there, you know, where they're like, oh, the Americans made a sci-fi movie about aliens, and then we will make it, but we will have a detective who's also half, you know, centipede. You know, like, they, they go, they, like, they go so strange with the way they marry things together, um, and you sit and you watch them and you're like, this is nuts. But there's an endearing quality about the fact that there is legitimate big-named, you know, writers who we would class as great directors and actors involved in these projects. That I mean, I dare say we're going to see quite a few names on some of these movies that are maybe not even the best movies that are just like, I cannot believe he did this movie. John Saxon's the one that always appears. John never, never, ever, ever be surprised if we are talking about a movie and you're like that I didn't know John Saxon did this movie because he did a ton of fucking movies in Italy in the 70s which just makes zero sense and when you hear him talk about it there's great articles out there I've mentioned this before he went through a really messy divorce kind of late 70s and as a result he just went to Italy got very 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 drunk and um through his, his very, very drunk time in Italy, made a lot of movies. It's one of the reasons I love uh, Once Upon a Time um, in, in, in Hollywood. Uh, I think that's the, like, the, the fact that the DiCaprio character goes across to Italy and does what he does in that speaks more to the fact that that's how the Hollywood system worked. Um, when you didn't have any movies coming in, you go make a couple of foreign movies, get paid really, really well, get drunk a lot and then come back to America and then all of a sudden you were back in vogue again. Um, so there's going to be loads right. of these on this list and that kind of gets me like, when you sit down and watch some of these movies and you see certain names pop up or certain directors start off making really shitty movies that go on to make incredible movies or even just find a movie where you're like, this is fucking awesome. I wonder what that director went on to do and then you realise this was like a flash in the pan. This was like a one-off lightning <laughs> in a bottle thing where everything just worked for some reason and everything after that was hellish. I, those are the exciting conversations and we are going to be doing a lot of that because some of the names on this list going through are a who's who. There are masters of horror aglore right all the way right through this entire list of movies. Maybe not so much on the first two. So, with that in mind, what we're going to do is we're going to take a very short break just now. When we come back, we're discussing the first movie on the list that we're doing, which is Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Oh, goody. From 1972, myself and Mark Ball coming right back right after this. Invasion of the Blood Farmers, made in 1972, you know, crept out on video in the early 80s here. This was one of those sort of, because it's a stupid title... I had heard of before it came out. I mean, it's listed in, you know, the various books that Walt Lee and Don Willis wrote about horror pictures. Or, yeah, and, and I remember there was a period when, as a British horror fan, you would see lists of all these films and assume you would never see them. These were the movies that were never going to play theatrically in Britain. They were never going to turn up on television in Britain. And then suddenly there was this new medium... And these movies were out there. I remember actually watching 
invasion of the blood farmers and actually being astonished because it is sub-amateur and I didn't realise there were lots and lots of regional American films like this which looked to me like just some people had got hold of yeah, the, the camera equipment that they were usually shooting their holiday thumpingly inept. I mean, if you look at the climax of this movie where lots of stuff is happening but it's a single static shot of a bunch of people falling over as this blood sacrifices and it's got a really ridiculous premise as well to do with druids living in modern America searching for a special person for that big sacrifice that's going to bring back the evil druid queen who never does quite come back if you're building up to the return of the arch evil you kind of have to let the arch evil turn up at the end you can't just avert it at the last minute which is what happens here anyway the director the titular director you say is Ed Adlam Michael Findlay, who made Snuff, is kind of associated with it, and it sort of has the feel of his work as a director. He also hopped in and out of, like, exploitation films and porn movies, and it has that, you know, thumping, clod-hopping, basic setup stuff. The performances are all, I don't know, regional community theatre level stuff. Some of them are quite endearing and some of the dialogue is sort of loopy. One interesting person worked on this film, Frederick Elms, who is the camera operator, uh, the person who presumably set that camera up on the tripod and took a tea break during the climax of the film. He later on was the director of photography on Blue Velvet and went on to uh, become a collaborator with Ang Lee on Hulk, Brokeback Mountain, all those films. He shot them. So that's a long way from Invasion of the Blood Farmers. But hey, everybody has to start somewhere. It's just a farmhouse and looks pretty innocent from the road. But once you're inside, you'll see what really happens on a terror farm. Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Coming in the dead of night, coming to plant the living and harvest the dead. Invasion of the Blood Farmers. Within a week, the lab will be flooded with... With human blood. I can't stop it! Strong enough. More raw terror, more stomach-turning shock than you can take. Therefore, we warn you, don't eat before you see Invasion of the Blood Farmers, and you'll have nothing to lose. Plant the living and harvest the dead. Invasion of the Blood Farmers, released by NMD Films, in color, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. And 
Welcome back, ladies and gents. So, here we go. This is movie number one on the list. We are doing a little film called Invasion of the Blood Farmers, aka Blood Farmers, because we'll shorten it. Um, this one was made in 1972. Now, according to Wikipedia, which I'm going to refer back to from time to time because it's good to do that, uh, this movie was never given a formal release in the UK. So it never made its way to a proper release. Doesn't surprise me. Um, but it's directed by Ed Aldlum, um, which was co-written by Ed Aldlum and Ed Keller. The cast, oh dear, let's not, I'm not even doing castings on these shows, fuck it. Unless we'll mention... Stars nobody and features nothing. <laughs> the synopsis in this one is, somewhere in upstate New York, a secretive group of farmers, that's right, uh, are harvesting human blood for a mysterious purpose, which isn't explained really uh, in any fashion which would make me happy. Um, yeah, Blood Farmers, Mark Ball, is the first movie we're going to talk about here. Now, you in the break here flung a, a factoid at me which literally blew my mind so go and tell the ladies and gents why you know they may want to historically read anything related to blood farmers uh the assistant cameraman was uh, frederick elms who worked on such films as Eraserhead and i believe blue velvet worked with david lynch a lot uh <laughs> The reason this is shocking is because this this movie Invasion of the Blood Farmers looks like it was shot by somebody with their fucking eyes closed. <laughs> there's there, there's entire scenes where it should just be a two shot of two people sitting on the couch and they still have somehow managed to cut off the top of the person on the right's head. Yep. yep. I don't understand how this must have been really really early in Frederick Elms' career cuz yeah, he's he's worked with Jarmusch, he fucking He's the cinematographer on The Dead Don't Die, mm -hmm. uh, Blue Velvet, uh, all kinds of... This guy has shot tons and tons and tons. He shot horns. <laughs> we all yeah. start somewhere, Mark. We all have to start somewhere. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, this movie... Uh, I don't know where this was filmed. This feels like a movie shot in Wisconsin or like <laughs> Nebraska or some little bumfuck town. This was, this was shot for... $24,000, which by even, like, 1972 standards, like, as a Scorsese movie at the time, probably catering would cost $24,000. <laughs> According to some of the Wikipedia stuff, a lot of the actors were paid in beer, yep. which is obvious mm -hmm. because some of them seem like they're not actors, and some of them seem very drunk through, like, so, the good chunk of this movie. It opens in a bar, which is, like, super appropriate. This feels like a movie that they cooked up when they had had like a few too many mezcals at the afternoon bar <laughs> visit on like a Thursday afternoon and like none of these people are actors and it's painfully painfully obvious but um yeah it kind of kicks off this weird little I, I would I, I called this an HG Lewis ripoff oh god yeah this is this feels like a blood feast this is the, this has got yeah this is this is shades of blood feast all the way right through it it's kind of amazing <laughs> I was gonna say to you as well cinematography is a lot like sex for the first time mark um you know like <laughs> it's awkward you don't really know what you're doing you're likely to put it in the wrong place the first time upsetting everyone and if you're lucky you'll chop someone's head off so there we go. That's, that's how it works, isn't it? That's, I will take you your silence. <laughs> I will take your silences, yes. Um, so yeah, like 
<laughs> the only this is like is, you mentioned about cutting off heads. That's not the biggest cinematic crime in this movie. Oh, no. One of my favourite repeat offenders in this movie is when someone's talking and because the cameraman hasn't filmed that person talking, we just have a stationary shot of someone looking confused. Especially in the bar scene where the barman is talking and then the camera pans to the two people that should be talking, then it goes back to him and those characters talk. And I'm like, no, I want to see the guy. And it does that over and over again. It's it's like a really cheap way of potentially just doing some overdubbing. So they're just playing things and just having actors talk, I would imagine. And this also very much feels like a you get one cut to do this movie, there is no, you know, oh, this yeah. shot, there is no redo. Like, we don't have time for the redo, you get this right first time. I mean, the film is shot over three weekends. So, and it feels that. <laughs> like film, film, film is expensive, this is definitely shot on 16mm, and it, you can tell, <laughs> and wh- whoever had the prints of this for a long time did not keep good good care of them, and yeah, there's, there's an ass load of overdubbing in this because like the soundtrack is super inconsistent <laughs> and you can you can tell when like you just get all this like room noise all of a sudden as soon as somebody talks and like a- anytime they're talking and their back is towards the camera they were probably not talking on set yeah. and they realized they needed a line in there to kind of explain what the fuck is going on or like when they recorded it on on set i don't think there was a whole lot of on set recording except for when they're like in the house basically mm-hmm. in this movie because yeah it's it's all overdubbed badly <laughs> and um i mean that's that's just kind of the way you got to do it when you don't have a lot of money you don't have a lot of time like you're you're basically begging your friends and family to be in this piece of shit because you don't have money to pay real actors so you pay these guys in beer that's that's just the way it goes and you know so sometimes you can overlook it if if you got enough going for your movie and enough cool stuff and like stuff to distract from the fact that it's done super duper cheap that's okay you can you can pull that off there's great examples of that mm-hmm. all all over the place this is not one of those movies this is <laughs> this is a cheap cheap knockoff of an H.G. Lewis movie. Um, it's It's got some dumb subplot about druids. Like, I, I was really kind of hoping this was going to be, like, a little more, like, a, a country-fried kind of horror movie. Yeah. Like, these were just, like, just, like, like, a little, like, shades of motel hell, kind of. Like, these are just blood farmers. They're just, like, fucking, like, like a fucking ghoul record or something. They're just, like, these, and then one of the dude looks like he's, like, from the dwarves or ghoul yeah. or, like, some thrash <laughs> metal band with his sweet fucking executioner hood and his like denim vest and shit oh, he goes, I was hoping for more of that because the, the, like, the beauty of this movie is like halfway through the movie it like introduces occultism because yeah. why not like at this stage why not like because we really it's cheap it is cheap it's like all you have to do is have a man <laughs> with a beard and a guy in a hood and that's your dear. Like, like yep. <laughs> you, you borrow the robes from your local community theater from the, when they're getting done doing Shakespeare or whatever. You you get you, you can build like some spooky occult looking props, you know, like goat skulls mm-hmm. and candles and shit. Like this is this is like set design one oh one. Like how cheap can we do this kind of shit? I, I mean, th- th- this is this is like Manos like yeah. level of like production design going into this kind of deal so so the, the, yeah it's it, it, <laughs> the, the, go ahead i'm go gonna ahead. say that the blood that they're farming here is this weird sort of mutated blood that self-perpetuates so 
So that's one thing that's going on in this movie, and uh, I can't tell you. I've, like, I almost, like, genuinely almost peed myself laughing. Like, full on piss running down the legs. Had to double over, had to hit stop on this, because it might be one of my favourite things I've ever seen in my entire life. So there's this mad scientist <laughs> who's like, Aha! I have found the. You know, like, he's like running about the place. You're talking the one that's working with the cultists, kind of. He's, he's kind of, well, this is, the, this is the wee guy in the lab suit who has the, yeah, he's kind of working with, but, you know, he's, he's not quite what he's, he knows of them, but he's not working with them, if you know what I mean. Uh, and he's got his friend who we'll call Billy, because in all these things it's, well, listen here, Billy, um, you know, like, and he's, he's got a sample of blood in one of the beakers, right? And he started doing scientific testing, and this blood is self-perpetuating. And the Johnny thinks this is amazing. And meanwhile, as kid psychics like that, should we not be like informing the authorities? Like, no, no, no. We shouldn't be informing the authorities because we need to get to the bottom of the scientific mystery to find out if it's been used for <laughs> nefarious purposes. Right, and while he's saying this, he's kind of looking at the camera because that's where the guy's holding his lines behind the camera because uh-huh. he's like, uh, like is that a cut or no, <laughs> no just we still rolling keep going okay. right? there's, oh, there's more dialogue oh awesome uh, right so he's talking about this but the, every time we go to him the blood's getting higher in the beaker right and it keeps going up and then we cut to a later bit in the movie where he's like screaming bloody murder for the guy to come downstairs and it's just pouring out the top right and he's like it won't stop it won't stop and I'm like of course it won't stop it's been fucking growing all the way through this movie and he's he's foolishly trying to as he continues pumping out the fucking top fucking it's kind of like when a kid does like the volcano as a science project and they put way too much in it it just makes a fucking mess out of the dinner the, the kitchen room table oh it, it comes out the top like if you've ever seen those videos that are doing the rims on on Facebook, they're my favourite things of people trying to open expensive bottles of champagne using swords. Um, <laughs> they, oh, yeah. they, they fucking explode or they hit the ground and go off in their face. This is what's coming at the top. And this guy, this guy's just this helpless old man who clearly is not an actor who's volunteered to work here has been landed with the scene of trying to contain the blood pumping out of the beaker uh, and he just doesn't know what he's is. Honestly, I thought I was going to piss myself. I, I, I couldn't, my bladder control was was almost gone. Is maybe the only reason to watch this movie. Out with, every time we cut to, <laughs> every time we cut to the Satanists, oh, they're in a room which doesn't quite have midsummer wallpaper. <laughs> it's like a kind of, <laughs> kind of loafer. It looks like a place where kitty porn would be shot. <laughs> it really, really does. And, then and they, in reality, it's probably the other side of the house from where they shot the lab stuff, of which course. is supposed to be a completely different property. It's, of course, it's, it's all. This is one. This is one set. This is one location. This is an abandoned house they found somewhere, and they've just decided it's the director's mom's <laughs> house. <laughs> no, you got to get out of here, mom. Um, and like every time we cut to there, they have like this dead woman. Like a snow white dead woman in a glass box, and that is her job in every set is to lie and pretend to be dead. Um, we cut to them, these, these, like, these occultists, we'll call them, are are like a really shit mafia, 
you know what I mean? Like, they're trying to put the screws on people, but there's no, you know, you will be dead to us, mwaha. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's their version. Their ver- the the, the kind of, the blood curse is their version of sleeping with the fishies, except it's completely ineffective and no one dies. Um, until the end, where you get the most, is that an ending? Oh, right, that is the end. All right, all right. Oh, credits. Oh, oh, oh fuck me. All right, thanks. Um, yeah, the, the movie... I th- the, here's here's where I come down on it, Mark. Right, I think the movie's heart is in the right place. Right, it knows it knows what it's trying to do, and to be honest, I actually think they succeed in what they're trying to do. They are trying to make a really cheap movie that will play at some specifically drive-throughs that you're mentioning. That they'll, they can tag out at drive-throughs. It'll do the rounds there. They'll probably, if they're lucky, make their money back to make their next project. Where this movie fails on that is and you also kind of hit the nail on the head with this is that there are other schlocky directors when I mentioned um, Herschel Gordon Lewis um, there are plenty of movies that he's making at the same time that are in the same ballpark that and it, it pains me to say this are expertly executed in comparison to this and as a result <laughs> as a result of that the, the market's done, you know what I mean? You you are you are in a very busy market trying to get your movie out there to drive throughs when there are other schlocky filmmakers making frankly better movies than you are. And plus it's too seamy. It's you know, there's nothing remarkable about this movie at all. Um, including the scene where the little the little uh, the little blood farmer uh, is peeking through the window watching them work on the, the, the beaker and then he slips and bangs the window and then runs in sped up motion like a comedy scene he's like Benny Hill like running through the woods as a non-vicious dog who clearly is out playing in the woods because that's how they've shot him but they've shot him with all this canned like vicious dog sound but the dog's like having the best day of its life it's like yeah, he's got a big smile on his <laughs> face oh boy oh boy I'm out in the woods with the people but the sound effects like the dog can hear the sound effects as well and he's like that I'm, no I'm not going to bite anyone no, I'm, I'm having fun. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a junkyard dog that they recorded. Like, oh, it's just going ape shit. It's just that, like, it, it doesn't match the movie. It doesn't match the breed. It doesn't match the tone. And this movie, and, and that's the thing. At every attempt in this movie, someone thinks what they're doing is setting up great exposition or a scene where some guys are at a bar. How difficult can that be to shoot? Some guys chatting at a bar. Apparently, according to this movie, very, very, very difficult. Uh, this is the least convincing group of men socialising in a bar I've ever seen in my entire life. Everyone's so stunted and awkward. Everyone is fully aware there's a camera on them. Like, at all times yeah. in this movie. Oh, fuck, the camera's... Did he hit roll right? Uh, must be stiff as a board, stiff as a board. Um... It's just, it's, a, it's an exercise. What, I, I like these movies as examples of how not to make cinema, and I think like there should be classes out there at film school where you have to do a semester of just watching really bad movies to drill into your head what a bad movie is. Because I think people think, when they hear things like bad movies, they're like, oh, you know, it's like, um, it's, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't. You know, like, they think that's the movie. You know what I mean? Or Birdemic. They think these are the movies that are bad movies. And what they don't understand is, yes, those are bad movies that have a weird charm. But then there's a whole, like, rung below that 
of just bad cinema, like really, really, really bad. And Invasion of the Blood Farmers is nowhere near the worst movie I have ever seen, and I dare say, Mark, sadly for you, will not be the worst movie that will be on this list. But nope. it's just, is is he, is he jigsaw puzzle with misshapen pieces and none of them fit. And as a result, when you're watching it, nothing really ties in. The narrative doesn't make a lick of sense. The actors are pretty terrible. Most of them are looking directly at the camera where they are trying to find where the cue card is to read off of. Uh, the score doesn't fit. And the, the blood in this movie is pink and fizzy. Like everything is pink. It's got a real problem with shooting day for night, too. Yep. <laughs> like, that makes it even more, like, just it, impossible to follow what the hell is going on in this movie when, like, it's supposed to be night, but it's clearly daytime, and they, like, didn't even, they didn't even try, they didn't even put, like, a blue filter over it or anything to imply that it's supposed to be nighttime. So, like, you spent a lot of this movie just like, what in the fuck is going on? <laughs> Ed Umlum did three movies he only he produced three movies he wrote three movies the same three movies but he only ever directed one movie and that is Invasion of the Blood Farmers and I think that might be because like you know like when like people are like how difficult is that I mean I'm a writer how difficult is it to film what I put on the page and then the, it's, it's maximum overdrive syndrome you know what I mean <laughs> you know what I mean no one's ever really put my horrors to the page so I'll be in the trailer telling you about my new great horror film maximum overdrive and then you sit and you watch and you're like that he was doing all the cocaine I mean everything he was on all the all the cocaine was given to Stephen King it's, it's that sort of thing where I think sometimes people think it's a, a lot easier job than it actually is and it's not and this is evidence of that with all the will in the world and an interest even if it was an interesting script if you have bad actors and not enough time and not a lot of money um and no experience you you can see how this goes wrong the evidence is that the second unit cinematographer on here directed Blue Velvet which is one of my favorite movies ever fucking made so like, I mean, one of the most perfectly shot movies of the 1980s so when you've got that guy and he can't help you save your movie, it just comes down to inexperience and ineptitude, and that is Invasion of the Blood Farmers. <laughs> <laughs> invasion of the ineptitude. <laughs> ineptitude of the Blood Farmers. There you go. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Like, there's a scene as well where there's a we've got a woman's side on with a giant plastic tube, which is apparently taking the blood out of her, and they can't just have the blood. Like coming in a steady stream because they're obviously they're running out of budget, and then like lumps of pink stuff just start coming down sporadically from it, and they're like, just keep pouring. I'm out of things. Well, just drop things in the tube. From from <laughs> it's just it's just such a a badly made movie. Um, I will be. I did laugh a lot while watching it. Whether or not that's the intention of the filmmaker, I highly doubt it. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this one, Mark? Um, or will we get to our very convoluted yet very fun grading system? Um, yeah, I, I think we I think we pretty well pretty well wrapped it up. As as far as why I think this is on the list to begin with, I think has very. This is definitely one that they flat out probably didn't watch when when putting the list together. Uh, it's it's on there for the box art and the title. the The title I think 
the, the word invasion is very very telling. This this I think this goes back kind of to like Red Scare kind of deal because that was a, that was a word that was used a lot to describe like the the communist invasion and and still to this day like uh, the immigrants are invading our country. It's it's invasion is a taboo word and it goes all the way back to like the to like Red Scare communist era kind of deal. So they, they they knew to put that in there because that freaks people out. And it has a super gruesome poster of a chick being stabbed with like a pitchfork or something that paints a very different picture of what than what we get in this movie. So yeah, we're in the time period of like posters not matching, you know, movies at all. And yeah, the, I, I can see like see when I saw that very much that you mentioned Motel Hill. When I saw the poster for this one, I was like, that all right, this is like a, a pre Motel Motel Hill. Can't wait. And yeah, it doesn't live up to that at all. Um, our rating system on this show is kind of fun and that it doesn't really give you a grade at all. It more kind of puts us in the perspective of people at the time. So early 80s um, and we, we do it in a fashion which makes it quirky and fits in with the show. Um, we have some options here. We can dismiss this case is not worthy of our time in the court, i.e. there's nothing offensive about this movie at all, so let's not bother considering it from a, for a banned list. We have just above that a slap on the wrist. So you've been a bit naughty, you've done a few things in your movie, I see what you did, but it's not offensive, but I can see how maybe someone might think it's a bit taboo. Above that is community service, so you know, you know you've done wrong, you've done fucked up, and we know it, you know it, and... It's maybe not maybe not like worthy of prison, but it's definitely worthy of some community service. Get out there and do your time in a productive way. And then above that, the worst crime heralded for these cinematic atrocities, i.e. sequences of really bad rape or cannibalism or brutal torture. We have um, we, we have some hard time. So hard time are the ones that we would pretty much say, yeah, this is... This is on the list. This should have been on the list. I will make no qualms at all. Invasion of the Blood Farmers for me is a case dismissed. <laughs> um, not only because it, I, calling it a film makes me smile, um, but like <laughs> there's there's nothing in it. There's there's absolutely nothing in this movie. You don't really see anyone get cut. Or it's all after effects and bad effects at that. Um, so yeah, I would dismiss this case outright. Uh, Mark Ball, what about yourself? Is this a, is this a case dismissed for you? This is this is at most a slap on the wrist. <laughs> like really, there's nothing like yeah. This this is this is pretty tame. It's like. I'm pretty sure I've seen like high school plays that were bloodier than this and had more offensive <laughs> things than this. Like this, there's, there's no nudity. The the violence is all laughable and really not terribly like the 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 cultist that actually does like any of the violence and whatnot has this stupid fucking tool that looks like a red thimble on the end of a broken in half cane, and he kind of just like. He he does like the fucking men in black with the the memory erase thing to him. He just like holds it up and presses it against them, and all of a sudden, pink blood starts squirting out. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's it's not particularly brutal or violent or anything. Oh, and the uh, spoiler alert for a movie that came out like fifty years ago. They they bring the dog back at the end, like the ultimate 
cinematic cop out, they bring the dog back to life. Yeah. So I mean, that's 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 the levels of non non brutal of this movie that we're dealing with, which is kind of partially. Yeah, I was, I was kind of the same. I was expecting more like a proto motel hell kind of thing, and this this is very much not that. And it's it's. I'm guessing this is going to be super tame in comparison to some of the stuff we're going to watch for this show. Oh yeah, absolutely 100%. Well, that's our first one down. Um, we're now going to take a short break. Once again, you're going to hear some promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer and a small clip, one that I have deemed worthy of of picking out, for whatever reason, um, of our next movie and final one of this episode. We're going to be talking about the last horror film from 1982. Myself and Mark Ball coming right back to do that right after this. The last horror film, also known as Fanatic sometimes, it reteams the, the romantic leads from Maniac, Joe Spinell and Caroline Monroe in a film together again. We did the last horror film and suddenly I thought, wow, you're an amazing actor to work with, you know, to, to, to actually watch work. Uh, and actually, the whole movie seems to be built around their respective personas. Joe Spinell's real mother appears playing his mother in it. And I have to say, no one is ever going to give a, a nice little old lady a bad review, except me. She is terrible in this film. Martin Scorsese's mother, who's in several of his films, she's really good compared to Joe Spinell's mother, who is like sub ed massey in this i gotta say I, I i from her performance in this i suspect her spaghetti sauce recipe was dreadful too in fact it was shot kind of guerrilla style at the Cannes film festival in 1981 so you see lots of really interesting ad mats in the background and a few glimpses of celebrities in in the far distance you know we literally go in and and shoot scenes and 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 then sometimes be hoiked out and said, Oi, what are you doing here? You know, so we, we t took a lot of poetic license with, with things. Um, so it was, it was very much you had to really be on your toes and the crew and everything. Uh, it was a great experience. It was really a hard film to shoot. There is even a weird irony that Caroline Munro is going to get the Best Actress Award at Cannes for appearing in an extreme horror picture. However, if you look at the records, that year Isabella Gianni won for Possession. So it could have happened. It was possible to appear in a video nasty and get the Best Actress Award at Cannes. So it's a film that I want to like a lot more than I actually do when I sit down and watch it. The problem is that David Winters was not that much of a director. Joe Spinell one of the great bit part character actors of the century. Whenever you see him in a big budget movie where he has two or three scenes, he's astonishing. I love him in Nicholas Rogue's Eureka, filmed the same year, where he's a sort of giggling hitman and he's terrifying in that. However, give him more than two or three scenes and frankly, your tolerance for, your need for Joe Spinell in a movie dries up. There's something alternately disgusting and whiny about his performance. He does this thing that a lot of really great heavies do when they're given a lead role, is he goes down on his knees and begs for your sympathy. He does the sort of crying clown act. And frankly, he's better off just playing a dead-eyed killer. Then there's something about him as, you know, his screen character that really works. When he sort of turns around and starts whining like Lou Costello, it doesn't really play for me. Huh. 
death scene look absolutely real and welcome back so it's the final movie review of this episode number one of season two of doing the nasty this one is the last horror film from 1982 it was directed by david winters and um, actually has a pretty cool cast if i'm honest uh, david winters mostly a producer and did in fact did a lot of producing, did quite a bit, 23 directorial credits on here, like, most of them I have never heard of before, <laughs> if I'm honest. But his last movie directed was 2015, and it's called Dancing, It's On, um, which sounds <laughs> fucking shahite. Uh, but he did direct, apparently, Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare. So. That was a huge, huge release on VHS. I'm pretty sure if you go into any pawn shop in America, they probably got a copy of that one in the VHS section. That was like a big, big deal. He also directed, again, to throw in the, the Mystery Science Theater connection, he directed a movie called Space Mutiny, which is a horrible, horrible movie starring Cameron Mitchell in a fake Santa Claus beard that's like... Uh, horrible! It's it's not even a Star Wars ripoff. It's a fucking Battlestar Galactica ripoff, oh, and even cribbed actual footage of like some of the space battles and spacecraft from Battlestar Galactica. It's a horrible piece of shit, but it's one of the funniest episodes of Mystery Science Theater. I think it's in the very last season. I, I knew I knew that name, David Winters, as soon as I saw that because they make a joke. They're like, "Oh, Winters! Oh, great! Oh, god!" <laughs> The thing about it is, right, so I got, weirdly, this is one of these fortuitous occasions where a title comes up for a movie that I actually own as a present from someone. So the Baz got me this movie last year for my birthday. And um, the ongoing joke is the Baz buys me movies which lie in their cellophane. I never watch them. Um, and he asked me from time to time, did you ever watch that movie? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't watch it at all. Um, so, like, as soon as I was like, that rings a bell. Why does it ring a bell? The Baz bought it for me. 88 films put out, which instantly made me go, oh, no. Um, because I'm going through their <laughs> slasher collection just now. And how this is not in their slasher collection is beyond me. Like, some of the shit I've had to talk about on that fucking series thus far, why this one is not in there 
it blows my mind because this one would actually be one of the better ones and I'm giving away a little bit of this. I really dug this movie quite a bit. Um, so the last horror film stars um, notable stars uh, Joe Spinell who if you are anyone who is anyone that likes the creme a la creme of exploitation and specifically slasher cinema if you don't know who Joe Spinell is you've never seen Maniac so get the fuck out of my face with your nonsense um, but also stars um, and I think she's always credited as being like a former Bond girl which I think is unfair. It's like one of those things where you did something a while ago and then you're constantly cast back to it. Um, but it's Carolyn Monroe who had worked with Spinell on a couple of projects prior to this one. This apparently is credited as Spinell's last like feature movie release. Um, I don't think he lived much longer than that. I can't remember. I thought he died in the 80s. I might be wrong about that. But... Um, I don't think he lived that. In fact, I'm going to fact check that while we're here more because I don't want to get people shouting at me. He died in 1989. Yeah, so he did die in the, the 80s. But, I, I mean, I I love me some Spinell. Um, and you're telling me you're going to give me a movie which essentially, according to the IMDb, the synopsis does not do credit to this. It's a New York taxi driver stalks a beautiful actress attending the Cannes Film Festival, which coincides with a series of violent killings of the lady's friends. Um... Which is okay, I think. That kind of happens. But it doesn't do justice to how goddamn campy and goofy this this movie is. But at the same time, how ahead of its time it is. Um, so I'll, I'll kick off here and then I, I want you to swing in for sure. The, the big thing for me is, like, 1982, you are almost at the end of what would be considered the boom of the slasher, which ran from approximately what 79 78 79 through to about 83 84 and that's the heady so by 84 things are like kind of petering out they're not making as much of them they're not making as much movie either and that's not to say that they aren't still releasing them it's just that that kind of boom of them was was fading out and as a result you tend to find that towards the end of any cycle of of any genre the really interesting movies start to come out because these are the ones that they've ran out of ideas really so what they're doing is they're being I don't want to use the word meta but there is a there is a level of meta where people are like right we don't need to explain the rules of anything or how things happen people are well aware of that so we can go a bit strange with it and the last horror film has a level of satire in it which I think is well ahead of its time specifically not only on fandom but on horror fandom and horror film making in general. Uh, Spinell ends up in Cannes, which they actually did go to, and according to the trivia that I read, did a little bit of what they did in Maniac, it's guerrilla style filmmaking. So they just went to Cannes oh, and yeah. just started, and you can tell, you can tell. They shot the rodeo. <laughs> this is a shoot the rodeo movie, except for it was a Cannes. Yeah, which I, I, I love, like I love that, we're love that. Well, we can't really afford to get the permits and what we'll just we'll, fuck it we'll do it live it's the bill o'reilly approach to delivering cinema <laughs> it's just we'll do it live on the day fuck it um and and so what you get is uh, you get the in a lot of respects the the inner psyche of Vinny, as played by spinel who is like absolutely absolutely obsessed with monroe's character she's this like uh, J- Jana Bates she's this um, famous director who makes these 
like horror movies and I, I mean one you have uh this is this is what makes this movie really exciting for me is that we can point fun at all the things that the movie doesn't do well but the fact it makes the the, the director or filmmaker or promoter or whatever in this movie a woman in the horror genre instantly gives us props for me because it's 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 if anything because there wasn't that many women making horror movies in the early 80s at all if any right and you know he's done that um she's actually for the most part not much of what you would class as a scream queen either she's for the most part a fairly headstrong woman a well for the most part three-dimensional character uh, who happens to have a nice rack sorry i'm only human um like a really <laughs> really nice rack um and uh, yeah so but what we live is we live the the real life and also the fantasy of Vinny's character and i think they do that really fucking well in this movie because you get disoriented throughout the movie as to what you're seeing is this the fantasy or is this the reality some of it is overblown like when he's receiving an award <laughs> out of nowhere um you know that like you can clearly tell that that is fantasy but there are other bits in this movie where i'm watching absurdity happen on the screen i'm like oh right that, this is part of the fantasy and then you find that it actually did happen so they play with those themes really, really well. On top of that, I actually think Spinel's kind of weirdly charming in this movie, which... Absolutely. You know, like, watching it, I, I really felt for his character, the fact he lives with his mum, who's also played by his mum in real life. Um, so he got his mum oh, on really? Yeah, his mum's on set. I love that as well. She's adorable. She really, really is. I, I just wanted to, like, have her bake me some cookies. Um, so, you know what I mean? And eat, the baked macaroni. Yeah, mm, you're speaking my language uh, you know what I mean like uh, Vinny looks like he's at a lot of that by the way just saying although Spinell had lost weight here if you look at him compared to um, like his physique two years earlier in Maniac but yeah like he's, an, he's, a, he's a tragic character but a weirdly charming character who like through the wrong light could be portrayed as the villain but through the right light could be portrayed as a guy who just really wants to help and the movie delivered some i think some really cool kills even though they don't go full on the blood and the gore eh, like you might think they would considering the cast the movie itself also runs at a whip this was a, a quick watch for me and there were moments i was watching it i was just like uh, this has got like good cinematography and you know, even though the 88 films version is the uncut version where they put in unrendered footage which doesn't do the movie any justice at all and I really wish uh, companies would stop doing that <laughs> like with like that oh yeah. we've sourced all this footage which we can't really fix so we'll just put in the movie and enjoy the seamless presentation that someone has spent fucking years putting back together we'll just dump some raw footage in there because you know you're a fan you're a completist you want to see it Put it in the special features. <laughs> like, that's all I'm saying. Put it in the special features. Especially when it's scenes yep. of, like, it's basically additional scenes of, um, like, where they, they cut the body open for the heart. It's just extra scenes of that just poorly rendered. So it's been obviously cut out of the movie because they wanted to minimise the amount of gore in the movie at the time. So just keep it out. That's what I said. It doesn't add fucking anything to the movie. But yeah, I liked, I liked, I like the score in the movie. I like the cinematography, and even the gorilla shooting stuff. Um, I like the premise. I thought the pre the premise was surprisingly ahead of its time, 
And when it finished, I thought, you know what? I, I hate to say this, but this might be one of those rare occasions where I sit back and applaud 88 Films for highlighting a film that I actually knew fucking nothing about. Because they, they put out quite a decent release for this. So, yeah, I, I, I really, really <laughs> kind of had a ball with this one. Uh, what about yourself, Mark? Could you see this one before? I had not seen it this. I'd heard of this a couple times, and I was kind of vaguely aware that this was one of Joe Spinell's last movies, if not his last movie. Um, I I dug the shit out of this movie, and I was really worried for a minute because I, I, I watched this on Amazon Prime. It's free to watch there. Um, the Troma logo pops up at the very beginning, <laughs> yeah. and I got worried as shit because I, I, in my opinion, probably about ninety nine percent of Troma stuff is just unwatchable <laughs> fucking garbage. But every once in a while, there's this little, little nugget of an awesome movie, and I don't know how much Troma actually had to do with this. I think this was put out as like a like a classic film on their label basically i don't think i don't know if they yeah i think to do with actually don't think they produced that yeah this. no the, so basically i think they acquired the rights for distribution and put out in blu-ray along with i, I think it was a spinel connect, uh, collection with like things like maniac 2 and stuff um the unfinished maniac 2 it was all grouped together right. and put out as like a like a trauma presents sort of thing but it has nothing to do with trauma which yeah, I'm like you. When trauma gets mentioned, uh, my balls kind of shrivel up a little bit because the you know I, I, I've maybe got about three trauma movies that I can actually say I can watch. <laughs> like most of them are just garbage toilet humor and not funny toilet humor. So yeah. So well, what's what's weird about this one is it had some serious. I watched a movie for the '90s series last summer called Terror Firmer. Oh yeah, that only came out maybe ten or fifteen years after this one came out on Troma, and it's it's kind of similar and it's like self-aware, like poking fun at the the movie industry and you know the the, the big people in Hollywood kind of deal. There's a lot of this in that, and I. I I genuinely really like Terror Firmer, and I, I think th- this movie, I think, pulls it off a little bit better, and it's a little bit more subtle and not quite so, you know, dick and fart joke about it, basically. Yeah. But, um, yeah, in a lesser movie, the the, the shoot-the-rodeo approach of doing the stuff in can would look like a vacation video <laughs> that somebody shot. I think it really works in here because they know specific things to shoot. And like you get you get the parts in the beginning where it's shot in New York. I, I think very little of this movie was actually shot at Cannes. I think they yeah. had as, as they got as much footage as they needed, and then everything else was probably shot in New York or Los Angeles. Um, but it's done really well, and you can't. It's not like glaringly obvious like it is in a lot of movies at these times where they're shooting, you know, Vancouver as New York or something along those lines. I, I, I think it's done really well in this um yeah I, I i dug the shit out of this movie i was actually like really surprised at how gory this is this this clearly came out a little bit before like there there was this time like between like the, i think the video nasties and like the mpaa 
getting their hands on stuff like this and demanding that you cut shit out if it's going to get an R rating and actually play wide, wide theatrical. Like, is, is some, is some of the later Friday the 13th movies are a great example of that mm-hmm. was when they just started taking a fucking hedge trimmer to movies to cut out all of the violence. This was a little bit before that, and I th- they got away with, like, quite a lot more than I was expecting. There's also a ton of nudity in this movie. Oh, yes. Thank you, movie. <laughs> Uh, like see when and, she's in the um, see when she's in the showers, I came so hard I lost enamel from my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, they, they they paid a lot of chicks to just like sit around topless in the, in this movie. You know, obviously, like it's it's you know that's that's kind of what's go, going on in the movie itself. But um, yeah, I I, I dug the shit out of this, and I agree. Like, Joe, Joe Spinell has a certain kind of charm to this movie where you don't. You don't hate him, like he's trying it. He doesn't realize that what he's doing is weird and creepy and like kind of wrong. And you know, <laughs> like coming through someone's window when they're having a shower. <laughs> yeah, and breaking a fucking champagne bottle on the on the sink and <laughs> pointing it at them. It, can't imagine why that would be threatening or anything. And they they mostly play it like pretty straight. Like Carolyn Monroe, like Dudley, she she seems genuinely distraught through a lot of this movie. Yeah. And like they, they don't they don't really like they, in their minds they're making a serious horror movie even though it's got a lot of tongue in cheek poking fun and kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean and it has a, definitely it has a serious message okay. as well. I was going to say like earlier on in the movie, um, in the background you specifically hear them talking about um, occasions. Reagan. Yeah, Reagan gets mentioned. Jodie Foster, who like Jodie Foster at the time had a serious fucking stalker. Like, like a really bad one. Like, was the, so they're mentioning this in the background. So there is this idea in the back that I quite like. It's not front. It's not front and center. It's kind of peripheral, and I think that adds a bit. It adds a bit of weight to this movie. It also like see when people. I've heard people say to me, you know, Sp- Spinell's a sympathetic character in Maniac, and I don't think he is. I think he's a great actor. I don't think he's a sympathetic character at all in Maniac. Um, but in this movie, I really, really, really got it. I really got the. I really got his charm and his vulnerability and his naivety about the whole situation. That it worked for me, and I. This is one of these few occasions where I'm like that. If you replace him with someone else, this movie does not work. I think the tone's all wrong. I, I really, I genuinely do think it would. It, it just wouldn't work as well. And you can tell that Monroe had worked with him on a few things before because she's very comfortable acting distraught around them. There's no yeah. like some some actresses get you know like the, the whole nudity thing specifically um, can, can cause some issues, but acting specifically vulnerable in a way which you are portraying that, but also you, you know the actress kind of feels safe while she's shooting it. It's all in here, and I, I think it adds to it. And even if they thought this movie was going to be a terrifying movie or not, the the culmination of it all, unlike the previous movie, the culmination of all of its disparate parts add up to something that's really worth mining. Like, I, I could imagine, like, I could imagine critics, they probably didn't at the time, but kind of really finding quite a lot to tackle with and finding this movie difficult to pigeonhole because just when you think about well, it's another dumb slasher, there's some social commentary in here, um, specifically about fandom. Um, and, you know, when you think, well, maybe they've had to sacrifice the gore out to do that. No, this movie's pretty gory as well. And it's underpinned with two really well-placed, well-constructed you know, characters. 
And I can't think of many slasher movies from 1982 that can, can say that at all. No, this is this is super ahead of its time. And I, I, I don't know about mainstream critics, but I did see somewhere on Wikipedia that this won like a Saturn Award for the cinematography mm. and some other stuff. And I, I think that's well-deserved. This was clearly done by people that knew what they were doing. And uh, it's kind of just a perfect storm of like tone and like the people that were involved in yeah i i th- they they really pulled this off especially spinel i i definitely agree if you if you put somebody else in this role i don't think it, especially like the dream sequences where he's playing himself talking to like his almost like his conscious mm-hmm. basically also played by joe spinel that shit is not going to work with an actor that doesn't really know what he's doing and i i i think joe spinel's an underrated actor in that aspect like he's, he's not just like a creepy looking dude like he, he that that dude can fucking act and he he understands you know like his his character so well i think and um i don't know he he's never been sweatier than he is in this movie, he's also so sweaty kinda, <laughs> he's so sweaty which i, I think also like really kind of adds to it like the, the just like it, it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable no, knowing that he he looks really uncomfortable doing a lot of these shots, kind of, and not not so much in his acting, but that his character is supposed to be like you know fidgety and awkward and sweaty, and he he keeps trying to barge into like all these places where uh, Carolyn Monroe's actor is, and they they just take like one look at him and they're like, nope, yeah, <laughs> back in the line, buddy. See you later. <laughs> And you, you do kind of feel bad for him because you know he's an okay dude. He calls his mom regularly and lets her lets her know he's doing okay. Like mm-hmm. it's you know you you don't you don't hate this guy. He's he's not like a slasher villain really. And I, I think that's like that's probably what they were going for with the John Travolta movie and failed miserably. miserably but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, couldn't, they couldn't quite get that for some reason. It's almost as if Fred Durst doesn't know what he's doing. Um, or John Travolta, yep. for, for that matter, who wants an Oscar for uh, that performance, yep. and if he gets it, <laughs> nothing like that's the sign the apocalypse is coming. You know what I mean? It's not Four Horsemen or anything like that. It's John Travolta winning for The Fanatic. Um, a little bit yep. of trivia that I found interesting, which was on IMDb, is in the movie, the character of Jana Bates, played by Carolyn Monroe, is credited as being the first performer to win the Best Actress Prize at Cannes for a horror film. Actually, in actual fact, the same year the film was being shot in 1981, Isabel Ajani won the Best Actress Prize for her horror film, which was a movie that was on the Video Nasties list, a little movie called Possession, starring the ever so dreamy br- dr- Sam Neill. I do love Sam Neill. <laughs> they show the poster for that in some of the footage that they shot at Cannes or whatever. The possession for pos- the poster for Possession pops up along with like fifty million other things. But yeah, that was what I definitely noticed. Yep. I was like, all right, that the, now you can date when this was shot. Yep. It was whenever Possession was playing at Cannes. Yep, nineteen eighty one. So there we go. There we go. Um, is there anything else you want to see about the last horror film before we assign it a grade? This movie is really good. If you haven't seen it, check it out, especially if you're not, like, super familiar with, like, Joe Spinell or... Um, yeah, this, this is super underrated. I'm, I'm really surprised I hadn't seen this before because it was good. Yeah, I'm the same as you. This is one of these ones where when it finished, I was like, I am really glad that I got... Because it would have lay in cellophane upstairs forever, honestly. I can promise you that. <laughs> uh, Baz was the guy that bought me... Um, what was it? 
the, the Osama bin Laden zombie movie, or zombie or something, <laughs> um, and that has tainted every purchase he will ever give me since. I mean, he could he could literally he could literally buy me the next David Lynch movie, and I'll be like that. Yeah, that's gonna be shit. Um, that's that's what happens when you buy me something. You get hard with that brush um, so yeah like I, like I was so glad to open this one and it, it, yeah it was, a, it was a great watch for me so I, I, I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it um, and yeah it was one of those pleasant little surprises where I was like you know we're, we're starting off with the right foot here because this was the first one I watched out of the two and then I watched the invasion of the blood farmers so I was like no no we're back we're back that's cool right so we're going to take our final break when we come back we will be uh, telling you in fact we won't be what am I doing we need to grade this son of a bitch yeah, Mark. yeah we gotta grade this guy we've got to grade it right uh, what do you think um, is this a case dismissed is it a slap on the wrist is it a community service or is this movie doing some hard time? I think this is this is just barely somewhere between a slap on the wrist and community service. It's it's got the nudity and it's got the gore and stuff, but nothing really strikes me as like terribly mean spirited in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of done very tongue in cheek, and the overall tone of this I don't think is real particularly nasty. So th- this one's. I, I, this is pretty ta- maybe just by my standards this is pretty <laughs> no, no, I'm with you. <laughs> this, this might have been a, this was probably a little more offensive in 1982 but uh definitely by today's standards this is this is not not super bad and again i think we're gonna see much much worse and uh, like I, I actually had a lot of fun with this like none of it, none of it seemed like you know Real, real mean spirited. So maybe a smidge of community service, <laughs> just because it's full, full of fucking nudity. Yep. But <laughs> yeah, nothing. Oh, oh, and it's it's got the little bit of drug content at the end, where 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 Mama asks if uh, asks if Joe Spinell's got a joint, and that's how they end this movie. That, that's what I knew. I was like, all right, this movie is fucking fantastic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm coming down with a slap on the wrist for this one. I think that there's so much to mind in it as well. Like, I really did have, have quite a good time watching this movie. It's one that I'll come back to as well, which I, I'm quite stoked about. I can see me pairing this up with now, obviously, uh, the fanatic from 2019 and the fan from the early 90s. That's a triple bill that has, <laughs> has to fucking happen now. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I did. I, it was one of these ones where... Already, I am appreciating the fact I've returned to do this show because I've got one movie that I'd never seen before that I liked. Yes, there might be another 50 that I fucking despise, but as it stands just now, I dug this one. I dug it a lot. So um, it was a slap in the wrist from me. Right, so we're going to take our final break. When we come back, we'll be revealing what will be coming up on the next episode and closing out the show right after this. Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies... Meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fried prostitute. But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. 
one of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. And you've been listening to Doing the Nasty, season two, episode number one. We looked at our first two movies of the 82 we're going to be covering for the next three and a half years, Mark. Um, We were doing Invasion (laughs) of the Blood Farmers and the last horror film, one really good outing. And one pile of shit. So, how do you feel, Mark? At one in the belt? It, it, it was worth taking the bad one for the good one, yeah. honestly. Like, I, I don't know if that's always going to be the case. And there's definitely going to be some shows where we get two real stinkers in a row. And there might even be a couple where we get two really good movies in a row. So, I, I think this is going to be random enough that, like... I think the good is going to outweigh the bad in this series because I'll, I'll I'll sit through a couple of shitty movies if I can get one last last horror film. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty good about this, and yeah, even even the bad ones, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with. So I think this is I, I, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think this is going to be a blast. Yeah. Well, you see that now. Let me tell you what we're doing <laughs> next next time. So in a month's time. Uh-oh. Um, and this was purely accidental we're going to be covering two movies that sadly we'll be doing after Valentine's Day but two movies with titles that feel like they could just be watched on fucking Valentine's Day um, the reason I said you, you might want, like neither one of these has a Wikipedia page so that's usually a good indication that wow. we're in for a rough time so movies n- <laughs> number uh, four and f- well sorry three and four on our list will be Honeymoon Horror, which has had no UK release ever and no Wikipedia page, and the the ongoing nickname for my dick, uh, the Love Butcher. Which, <laughs> which it, now wait a second is is the Love Butcher the same movie as Doctor Butcher MD? I I, no. I don't know. Uh, let's find out while we're here. I I, I like a challenge. So if it's Doctor Butcher I've MD, I've I've seen that one. So that's if it is your in for a, a laugh and a half because that movie's yeah, fucking amazing. The, no, it's not. <laughs> that's the one that. It's not. Okay, it's not the same movie. Okay, uh, the Love Butcher is um, oh dear. Uh, it's from 1975. <laughs> uh, a twisted tale of Caleb and his alter ego, Lester. After being pushed around too far, Caleb transforms into Lester and returns to those who have wronged him. This looks fucking terrible. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a doppelganger movie. <laughs> oh my god, this looks so fucking yeah. bad. I've also found the artwork I'm going to be using for this. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. Ah! Oh, I'm so happy right now. So yeah, so that's what we're doing on the next episode. Uh, Honeymoon Horror and The Love Butcher is your double bill. Now, this show is a proud member of the T. Putz Collective. Every single Friday, you're going to get a brand new episode of one of the other shows. So, what that means is, next week, you'll be getting the next instalment of Chronicle. The week after that, you get the next instalment of Opera Omnia. The week after that, you get another Chronicle, and then myself... And the delectable Mark Ball will be back to discuss these movies. So not long to wait. We're, we're taking it at a pedestrian pace. I kind of like that idea. Mark, before we go, anything you want to say to our dear listeners out there? 
My, my brain is coming up blank. Uh, follow, follow me on Letterboxd. I'll try not to spoil. I, I did post one for Invasion of the Blood Farmers, but I specifically didn't do one for uh, Last Horror Film just yet because I, I, I probably shouldn't be spoiling what I think about these movies until the episodes come out. So I'll try and save those for when the episode comes out. But I'm, I'm on Letterboxd. I do reviews of other shit. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's fancy underscore mark. Uh, same with the Instagram. I do a lot of horror photography and stop motion and junk like that over there. So go follow me there. Fancy underscore Mark. Uh, that's, uh, that's, 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 that's about it. Cause the midnight horror show is not running right now. Uh, I think fancy and friends is pretty well, well wrapped up. So this is kind of going to be my main podcast jam for the next couple of years. So, um, definitely subscribe to the show than the other, uh, teapots shows. And, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you in about no, another month for some more nasties. Yeah, bringing it back, doing it nasty. Like I say, proud member of the Teapots Collective. Make sure that you are subscribed to the feed for this show. And why not, you know, stretch the muscles, check out the podcast under the stairs as well on the other feed. In time, all these shows will have their own individual feeds, but I'm cheap at the moment, so and I'm doing this all DIY and trying to build something from a nothing. Nada, niente. So... For this week, and uh, until next month, please, 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 please watch something incredibly shitty and something incredibly nasty, and then come back and get ready for another two nasties on Doing the Nasty. They were called nasties, and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen a video, mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film.